This interview with Juno Projects was recorded on Tuesday the 2nd of June 2009 in their studio in Birmingham. More podcasts can be found at tradegallery.org. Like, uh, it's quite interesting looking at other people's interviews of you and seeing what what people pick out. And there's certain things that always come up, like being a technician and how long, when you started working like that. Like, it's always 1999, that's like the first thing. Every, se- okay. every sentence or every interview is always 1999. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it, it comes up a lot because... Because uh, we always mention it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it seems quite important, I think. Yeah, we used to see it, I think, as a... A kind of badge of honour, like we'd done the the graft, and uh, we understood and were sympathetic to other people that worked in galleries that had to install our work. Um, It was quite an. I mean, I graduated the year before you graduated that year, so that kind of time period, I suppose, is quite an important point. It's when we stopped being students and (laughs) had to try and survive in the real world, I suppose. And actually, 1999 isn't when we started working together either. It's, um, I think it's when we started uh, having a band together, wasn't it, with two other guys? And then we started making work together in, like, 2001. Yeah, right. So we've been working in a band up, up till 2001. So it's not, so you've still got a couple of years yet for a decade. Yeah. A decade of art. Yeah, so we haven't had the, yeah, yeah we haven't had the sort of, what do you call them? Decennial? <laughs> <laughs> no. Decadial <laughs> celebration. But, um, it's, it's ten years since the start, sorry. Since the start of the band. Which was called Owner Projects. Which then, when the band split up, we had to find a new, new um, first, first part of the name. So Juno, Juno Projects. Oh. That's another question we always get asked in interviews. Why are you called Juno Projects? So we're, we're not going to tell you, though. No, don't, don't. don't <laughs> <on> the <name. laughs> it's really boring, <laughs> the actual answer. We've tried to think of more interesting answers, but... There's a guy out there, um, from the song from the Beatles, they were asked how they come up with their songs, and he said it came on a flaming pie. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. That's uh, completely avoiding the obvious. With beef and love. So how does it how does it feel in a way to have had ten years of a band even if it's not ten years of art? It's, it's pretty good. Um, we're not in that band uh, anymore anyway. It only lasted about two years, but um, I suppose yeah, it's ten years that we've we've sort of worked together creatively. Mm. And suppose. a lot of the band projects were like precursors to the work yeah, we did as Juno. We were like an art band. It wasn't a fun band. It was quite serious. We were quite serious men then, I think. Um, I don't know. I think, I think we still feel like we're kind of. I suppose ten years ago is when we first started learning how to work together, and how that would happen. And um, I think we're still doing that a bit now. Really, it it, it feels quite an ongoing process. Really, um, I think we've learned that we get. Um, we get tired quite quickly of repeating ourselves over that time so <clears throat> it's felt quite varied I think the way we've worked really would you say for the 10 years um, yeah definitely I think um, yeah even at, even to the point of um, 
you know, feeling that once we realise how things can be kind of completed and resolved, even if we haven't fully completed or resolved them, then it sort of already feels like time to uh, to move on in a way. Mm. And I think it also leads us to almost view that period of time in, in kind of phases. So, mm. um, so almost just chunks of time that sort of define a certain way that we've had of working that then I suppose quite naturally shifts but shifts quite quickly um, so there's a kind of early period which was just live performance that spanned probably the first three years or so of uh, our output and then there's a kind of shift from that to a much more um, gallery based way of working um, and then in tandem with that I suppose there's evolved a kind of project-based way of working as well that's perhaps at the moment is sort of where we've come back to in a way with the work we're making at the moment. But, um, the, 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 there always feels like there's these threads and things that, that have run throughout the, throughout the time. and um, So it, it feels like a long time ago since we first started making work in some ways, given where we're at now, I think. Um, but when, um, with the music, um, how do you see that people engage with it? In, um, in with the gallery-based stuff, it's probably there's a sort of setup of you, you bring these things to people and then they, they have the opportunity to engage with it. Um, how do you consider that um, your music would be engaged with? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think we've always made things that were to do with sound or music in some way been quite a big part of um, probably 90% of the, the work we've done has some kind of audio component um, and that uh, as Ben said I think that partly grew out of, um, sort of working in a band and having that interest in, in music um, and we have done quite a lot of things sort of alongside our work that have been relatively straightforward music things although they've always had some kind of element of of um, what we wanted to do in the artwork as well. So, for instance, we've done we did a few projects a little while ago, making music with uh, sort of different groups of people, often sort of young people, where we made we made the music for them and they wrote the lyrics and sang it. Um, so that kind of collaboration. Um, and um, I think a few years ago we were kind of interested in in performing kind of as a band and finding a way of doing that alongside. Um, the the artwork we make because we didn't kind of want to branch it off as a, a separate thing I guess and also I mean we're not we're not really trying to have a music career as such I, I don't think um, we just kind of want to sort of do it al alongside or pretty much as part of what we do which we sort of were trying to do by having things like um, sort of homemade instruments and that kind of thing which kind of go along the lines of the sort of sculptural work that we make yeah, and I think it, it, in many ways it comes down to like an idea of performance as well and performance has always been a part of what we do and I think um, it's taken us quite a while to come to the point where we felt we could just do a straightforward gig of our own songs to a, a more music-based crowd. There's always been, I think in a way it's a mixture of maybe um, nervousness about presenting that and the and kind of seeing the art gallery base as a as a more of a as a blanket in a way for for that perform way of 
before doing music performances. Um, but I think through doing art gallery-based music performances, we've found that um, doing gigs in an actual music context is a lot easier and a lot less weird, and actually a lot easier for us, I think, than trying to um, maybe sh always shoehorn it into a, you know, the opening for a show that we're doing or a performance yeah. for, before something. Probably is quite a tough gig. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a full, a full circle, I suppose, from going from the band doing recordings with the band to steering away from all of that and then finally coming back to a point where we, we want to make music and c see that there's a parallel between what we may be doing and what might be considered sort of visual artwork and what's more the um, music side of things and just, I suppose the kind of linking thing is that idea of performance and where performance breaks between being a, an artwork and just a music gig I suppose, um, which is something we have increasingly come to look at in the, like Phil was saying, in the kind of sculptural or object-based work we're doing as well. Yeah, there's also no real way of us making that much money from any music we might do. No. So if we can do it under the umbrella of uh, our day jobs as uh, as artists, then well, it's it kind of it allows works, us yeah. to do it. Really. And it's quite immediate as well doing live music stuff. It lets us, and it's let us try out a lot of a lot of things I think that have then fed back into the artwork so um, using music plugins and effects to actually create visual um, projections um, and then that can feed into you know a sculptural object or something so it's almost a, a sort of testing ground for ideas as well I think doing live stuff. Um. What was it like, um, you did the work of the big chill didn't you? Mm. Yeah it was, they were uh, I mean, I was amazed at how responsive they were and how well attended the art trail was because um, the, the Big Chill itself, the organisation, funds uh, an art trail which has its own sort of curator and um, sort of people running it. So it's a fairly uh, well-funded and well-organised um, project with uh, quite a few uh, fairly big-name artists involved. Um, and... Um, particularly that name, I think Art Trail, springs to uh, brings to mind quite a kind of forgotten, like bit of a path of an old wooden sculpture in it or something. It doesn't seem like I, you know, I, I was surprised from how it had been described. Um, or um, how engaged. painted lanterns. I also thought it could be. <laughs> yeah. Both both sounded quite scary though when we approached yeah. with the idea. Um, but no, it wasn't like that. There was yeah, there was people queuing up. To be to be let in when it was opened. Um, so was it on a separate stage or something? It's in a kind of separate area. Yeah, I mean that's I don't know if you've been, but it's quite. It's in a kind of almost like a valley. That's a, that's a deer yeah. park. So the main stages are sort of down in the um, the valley part, mm -hmm. and then the uh, the art trails sort of up a hill, um, which again is another another obstacle. Uh, I'd have thought to the. Uh, the attendance, but um, mm. yeah, it didn't seem to stop the uh, the ravers, the yeah. Guardian Reader ravers. I think we had a real fear as well before we did it because on paper it sounded like uh, it just sounded like a nightmare. Uh, at, at ten o'clock, the art trail would open. Ten o'clock at, at night. Ten o'clock at night and stay open until three in the morning, uh, and would be the only thing open for a certain point as well. So it meant. We just had sort of visions of lots of people off their heads on E just kind of 
destroying the things we'd made. Which is kind of sort of what happened. It is. <laughs> a little and bit. But it, it turned out to not be a frightening thing, to be quite a beautiful thing once we let go of any preciousness over trying to keep our artwork together. But you also, there was a, a sort of stage element, wasn't there, to that? Yeah, our piece was on a small stage. Yeah, I mean, the, the piece was uh, an animation, a kind of computer game that was controlled by uh, guitar, bass and drums. And the, the guitars particularly were um, very sculptural kind of uh, pieces. That's the bass guitar on the wall over there, uh, which is in the shape of a death's head uh, moth, uh, as, as you can see. Um, it did have blood stains on it, but there's a gun there from people playing it too hard. Um, so yeah, that that was set up on a. <laughs> Sorry, uh, that was set up on a on a small stage with the the projection of the the animation, yeah. which the uh, the visitors the uh, I don't know what you call them, it's a bit more than viewers, but anyway, the, the people mm. having a go on it came up onto the stage to play. Um, so it it kind of became. Um, I think there was a period from maybe the first few hours where people were playing it and using it as a game and then there's a point where it sort of shifted into being like a, a stage for uh, young men to try and uh, impress uh, young women with their guitar skills for, for the rest of the evening and that, and that was kind of fine in itself, it was quite fun um, and I think it was quite nice, it was a very um, it was a very sort of receptive crowd and a very um, well-behaved crowd as well, I suppose. So uh, uh, nothing, I mean, considering how it could have gone, perhaps it, it went pretty well, really. Mm. And, um, so is it, do you, do you uh, feel that your work's changed from a sort of self-expression kind of thing with uh, maybe the earlier pieces to a kind of perhaps more generous kind of practice where you're inviting other people to have a similar experience to how you do or... Yeah, or yeah, I mean, relatively early, I guess, kind of... I suppose it was probably even within the first year of, of working together when we were making the things like dropping a Walkman in a lake-type uh, pieces. Um, we also began to kind of put sort of tentative feelers out to the sort of participation uh, end of things. We'd done some pieces... Um, piece called Digital Shy, which is kind of coconut shy where you could throw little logs at, uh, instead of coconuts, kind of old computers and uh, TVs and things. Um, and then also around that time we did the first piece where we got uh, kids to write songs. So, um, but yeah, that, that kind of really developed to become quite a big part of what we've done. Um, and I think it's something, actually at the moment we're probably sort of evaluating that with regard to uh, you know what we think um, what we think about that really as a as a way of working you know it's got a lot of negative sides as well as positive sides mm. I think it's something that's always presented as as you said a kind of generous and a kind of community or interest in kind of people and and um, and what they do which was kind of our I mean that was our main interest in you know just putting forward a situation like here's a cd of some music write some lyrics to go with it and seeing what people come back with was kind of an amazing process the people have written some crazy and amazing songs um but at the same time it's a bit of a double-edged sword like i think you be you begin to be perceived as a sort of community artist with a capital c uh, you know even within the the context of you know quite a lot of people working that way and on quite a sort of high end you know, 
people like sort of Rickrit Trevania or people like that who are very big name international artists sort of do that thing and seem to be able to kind of ride out um, that that kind of that yeah. viewpoint perhaps maybe through their almost lack of engagement actually um, yeah. but, uh, I mean I think it links in as well to a lot of the way that we work and the way changes happen is kind of linked to the way we also um, you know generate an income and a way to live so the a lot of the early work in a way you know there's a real parallel between that and what we were doing to kind of survive at that point which was gallery technician work and and really reacting to that in a way you know being fed up of lifting huge crates and you know moving paintings an inch across or and and, and so really kind of not wanting to make any more objects and and wanting to have something that was um, would exist either just as a live performance or as a documentation of a live performance, and then I suppose uh, carrying on from that, we started doing um, like education workshops, things like that, as a, as, a, as another way of sort of generating an income. And I suppose maybe again there was perhaps a little dissatisfaction with realizing you're doing these projects that um, you know while they're good and you're having a great time. You, I think we both kind of felt there, there must be a way of like making this more a part of our practice or, or kind of being able to make what we were doing as a job work as work for our practice as well. Um, which sort of then... Yeah, you said practice. I didn't say praxis, though. That's the worst <laughs> one. Um, but... Oh, I've lost it now. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, that kind of carried on like that. And I think, in a way... Um, and then since we've kind of gone full time doing Juno, maybe you know we've done less of the less. Of, well, we've done the technician stuff and the workshop stuffs maybe gone to the back a bit, and we we found kind of ways of totally trying to make everything part of our practice. That so you know trying to think ways around the project so that it can be a viable sort of part of the work that we do. Um, I get a sense that you you feel perhaps that within those community projects, it's difficult to sort of maintain a sort of critical edge with them or, it, or at least it appears that way or it kind of has the sense of it even if that's not quite true yeah yeah that's right um i mean that's as, as ben sort of said we quite quickly wanted to make the things we were um sort of being asked to make maybe with groups and things make them you know of the same kind of uh standard or in the same way that we'd make a sort of gallery an exhibition work and kind of set out set out to do that if we were approached to, to do something we um, you know we uh, sort of put that across that you know we, we'd want it to be a kind of a piece of work in its own right um, but yeah no it is it is weird I think it's I, I don't know even if it's how we how we're really perceived or just how we think we're perceived but that became the main kind of sort of sticking point you know you begin to be asked more and more to do educational outreach things which are really sort of purely in the interest of the organisation that's well no that's, that's a bit harsh perhaps but you know obviously they have benefits for well them. I think it was linked to us feeling feeling dissatisfaction I suppose and that um, you know our original um, enthusiasm for working that way was to do with um, I suppose the outcome and, and, and seeing these things that were coming mm. from a process that involved us and other people but produced this thing that to us was was great and and was something we couldn't have made by ourselves 
Um, and then kind of gradually feeling like the focus was shifting from that idea of we're doing it for an outcome to um, we're doing it because we're interested in that process as the mm. primary reason for doing it, which I don't... I think, you know, we it was hard to see it for, uh, for a while and, and then when we kind of got a bit of distance on it and were able to kind of realise that's what was happening, I think that's when we sort of felt more of a dissatisfaction maybe with it. But it is still a way we work now and I think it's more like we've just had to address those issues in a way in the way we do stuff. And, and it is a problem doing um, collaborative work in that way. Like, there's so many grey areas and there's that you feel possibly you know you should be trying to tackle but you can't you can't fit it all into you know you, we worry about the legacy of a project you know you work with a you work with a group of people but then you just leave them and you never see them again um, and it's not you know it's nothing personal it's just you, you can't li- you can't work on a project forever um, or maybe you can but we can um, so uh, yeah, the, the, I think it, it always feels quite problematic as well working in that way, which is, I think, partly why we do it, and it's also partly why it can feel a bit dissatisfying as well. We quite like those things that are sort of problematic to us, or or things that we don't necessarily like in other artwork. We quite like to embrace and try and find out why we don't like it. Computer games, for instance, and performance. Mm, yeah, right. <laughs> and um, yeah, anything that involves you having to do stuff someone else's piece we, uh, we're quite reticent to join in so we feel like we need to find out why we're reticent to join in um. is, uh, one of the other kind of sections I guess is um, working with um, working with FA projects like how does that how did that feel um, from before or how's it changed or felt good <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was. I mean, it's kind it of the, the, the um, I mean, it's kind of a, a, I suppose an ambition or a kind of dream or a goal when you're at art school to kind of when you leave art school, the next thing would be to be represented by a gallery, um, and um, I mean, it happened. I suppose we started working with FA in two thousand three. 2004 2004 um, and uh, so we've been Ben and I have been working together since 2001 so um, and we'd only just began doing things that we saw as things for gallery shows um, and I think um, it was quite an interesting time that they took us on in, in that way because even like the, the work we were making immediately preceding that which was uh, what they'd seen to sort of ask us ask us in to have a meeting was very much the the kind of performance videos kind of grungy kind of one-off events that um i mean particularly to our minds we didn't really see any kind of commercial aspect to to at all um and then yeah you asked sort of how it's how it's changed things um i mean it's we'd sell uh, work through them um every so often and uh that's that's kind of uh, we see that as a quite a positive thing it's good uh, and it has made us think about making things commercially although I think those those attempts to try and make commercial things uh, aren't, aren't very successful so I think we're quite happy now to kind of 
have settled down and found a balance between uh, the sort of project work we make and the object-based work, which there's a big area of overlaps. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've made some of the weirdest objects we've ever made by trying to make an object that we thought someone would want to buy. And then, um, at the time, it makes total sense. And then we've got some things that I don't. I think only uh, Zoe and Nick at the gallery and we've seen that um, can never uh, it can never be seen by other eyes. Uh, but it it's been useful working with a commercial gallery in that way too. I think um, it's allowed us to work out what we actually want to do and do we want to be you know is that what we want? Do we want to produce work commercially and sell it and we do in some ways, but in other ways there's other parts that we like doing and, and I suppose it's quite a nice relationship with FA in that it, it's not too high pressure. So, um, you know, we, we can kind of, they'll, they'll work with us and they'll, I think we've kind of over the years sort of found out it's better to work around things we're interested in making rather than us trying to make things that we think people are interested in. Which seems quite obvious, but uh, it wasn't at the time when we <laughs> first started trying to make commercial objects. Yeah, I guess until you're in that position, it's kind of, you can't really know how it feels. Well, we had the double bluff of, like, uh, the first show we did, somebody bought it as well, so I think we then had this idea that we were just made for life then, but uh, it soon turns out that once you get your 50% with everything taken off, uh, it's not that much, really. I guess um, sort of sort of having someone else to represent your practice is, is helpful in positioning yourself within like a wider art world type thing. Um, I assume that the, the thing at Tate um, Britain, is it Tate Britain? Mm. Yeah, that I assume that comes out of a kind of accumulative kind of practice and. Just being around for a while, and yeah, I think so. I mean, in in the meetings we had with them, they were quite upfront about it, weren't they? Really, they said, you know, they'd, they'd seen our work in British Art Show, and they'd seen like the shows we'd done in London, and um, I think it was just we, you know, they'd been keeping an eye on our work, and there came a point where uh, I suppose that we we seemed like quite a good option for the project they had in mind I suppose which was um, something that could be outdoors and a bit interactive <laughs> um, but yeah I, I think it's a, it did seem a sort of cumulative thing yeah and I mean also just I think the, the way that art fairs now are, uh, you know there's much a, a, a sort of supermarket for curators as they are for art uh, dealers um, so, you know, having a, a sort of presence there, um, yeah, I don't think it can, uh, can't go wrong <laughs> once, you, once you're in the art fairs. Mm. It, it, it always tends to feel a bit like proving yourself as well, you know, that like you, you can handle a budget, you can, you can deliver a piece of work on time. And I don't know if it's true or not, but I imagine there's like these kind of uh, databases that curators can go to and they can check like uh, your you know your performance rating or something can mm, see there's that what's the um oh, yeah, you can have your rank can't you on that uh, what's that like website called two million for something <laughs> but um artifacts is that it yeah um, yeah that's that's sort of how it feels you know so I think uh, 
it's why we always try and be quite nice when we're, we're working uh, with galleries. <laughs> I was wondering if um, the odd, odd shapes of the guitars that you've made uh, affects the sound that you produced. Um, it depends on the. Well, we've only actually made two things that you'd really call guitars. Um, the the sort of homemade instruments we use mainly for our live performance are essentially audio and MIDI triggers. Um, they. Uh, yeah, show that to the tape. <laughs> this Would you like to describe? It's a bit battered. This is one of our most recent instruments. Um, where were you up to? This is one of our most recent instruments. Mm. So, sort of hand in hand with making handmade instruments, we've kind of got quite a handmade way of making music as well, I suppose. And. Um, it's quite um it's quite sort of specific i suppose isn't it and quite um quite idiosyncratic maybe um it, it, it it's a kind of system that's evolved so that um but essentially like this um twanger here on the instrument which could be any shape you Is wanted it twanger and a technical term so we've, yeah we've copyrighted it but uh it's it's a transducer like a contact mic with a bit of beer can on it uh, which you can twang hence twanger and then that's built into whatever shape you like really so we've opted for a snowy owl sat on a branch here so it still has the kind of you know vague rim and, uh, vague sort of shape of a guitar it's got a neck you can hold and a body you can strum um, but essentially it could be any shape with just yeah. this part in it I mean, those, those, uh, those contact mics we've used in things like... Um, we've used them in a number of projects and put them inside skateboard ramps so skaters triggered uh, sounds in, in one project. Um, so, yeah, if effectively, those, are, those things are triggering pre-recorded uh, samples or that they're, they're sort of beginning a generative sound process, but they, they sort of sound the same, whatever you, whatever you put them in. Um, but yeah, the the, the two guitars, um, the the Moth bass uh, I mentioned, and the uh, the other guitar from that piece is a, a based on a deer skull uh, shape. I mean, they're made from uh, wood, they're CNC routed, um, and uh, I think there is some kind of uh, rules in the guitar making community about kind of what wood mm. uh, sounds better and and sort of shaped to a, to a certain extent but uh, we I mean I think for the um, the level of, uh, sort of guitar making we wanted to get into uh, which was I mean those were already a bit more than the level of guitar making we wanted to get into but um, yeah it doesn't make no. a big difference it doesn't make a no. huge difference I think that's why they're electric I suppose they're made mm. from American maple wood which apparently, you know, it's a very neutral wood. So um, I think in that tends... Tone. Yeah, in that political line. But um, it tends to be with, like, electric ones, you want it almost as neutral as possible so that you're getting a clean signal, I suppose, going into your amp. Um, as a point of interest, somehow that guitar and the Deerscore guitar have ended up on this website called Axe Wars, and... Uh, that's been voted one of the ugliest guitars uh, 
in the base range. <laughs> it's got 14 out of 100, I think. The Deer School's doing a little better on 19 out of 100. So it's not popular with the sort of twiddlers, but, um, you know, they're dicks. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's something we've actually really specifically tried to focus on a bit um, and then drifted away from as soon as we started trying to focus on it. But we, th there's always been an issue with us with the idea of performance and um, what it is we're doing when we do a performance and what is this kind of grey area where is it a music thing in an art context or an art thing in a music context. And I think one of the key points was maybe a certain dissatisfaction with the sort of idea of, you know, the artist does a performance at the private view for a show and then for anyone visiting the show after that point there's no real engagement with that, you know, there might be a video of it or there might be a sound recording but there's no way of kind of having that actual uh, engagement with it. So I think we, we wanted to make performance props or I suppose even like action objects that um, <laughs> could be... Uh, works could be sculptures or things that could fit within the work that we make in and of themselves as well as being functional objects to use for a performance do you want to say a bit about action objects no, no okay. do you want you, you should okay um uh, action objects is something that uh like a museum or a collector would call uh something like a blackboard that joseph boyce has used so it's sort of not really uh, work or uh, performance prop explicitly but it's something they might want to collect or buy so you sort of you need a, a name for that so uh, what Ben's doing is jokingly referring to uh, instruments we've made in the same way as you'd refer to a Joseph Boyce blackboard yeah thanks for explaining that um, but I think there is there is a, there is a sort of um, some kind of disruption between maybe the shape of what we're playing and and, and its purpose. Um, well, I think the reason we began using the, the system with the transducers and, and triggering the sound that way was because, because we wanted to make our own instruments, but we didn't want to sort of put the time in that it takes to really make an instrument. So, I mean, we almost came to that system kind of uh, backwards, didn't we? So, yeah. you know, how can we make what we want? Well, if we use this incredibly convoluted method that takes a really long time to sort of program a song uh, with, but we can make it any shape we want. And it lets us make things that still let us feel, you know, we're used to performing from, you know, being in like sort of traditional like three-piece guitar bands or whatever and feeling comfortable holding a guitar. So I think we felt uncomfortable playing computers on stage or laptops, so we wanted something that could still give us that kind of, that feel of a guitar or some kind of instrument, but meant that we could use the kind of electronic sounds we, we were interested in. So I think with the music, there's always a bit of a, um, bit of a, you know, there's, we're, we're writing songs that are maybe almost like quite traditional indie rock songs from the mid nineties, but they're made using quite weird electronic sounds and, and Quite, um, quite convoluted sort of processes to get to arrive at that point. 
So maybe using sounds that would be more traditionally used in like electronica or or electronica, um, and then using those to write more kind of song-based songs. When your work was described earlier on, like the reading the um, motherfucking nature uh, work that you did at the showroom, uh, the description of your work is very much more about man versus nature, almost in that kind of black and white way. Imagine that's not quite so relevant now. What would you describe as your, your practice now? Um, or or how, how is it described by other people? We, we're still pretty much the guys that break stuff, I think, for most people. <laughs> uh, I think the best way we've been described was on... Um, there was a Channel 5 programme about the British art show. And uh, is it Tim Marlowe? Mm. Um, said we were the jackass TV of the art world. So, uh, and then cut to uh, the, at the end of one of the videos, just for a joke, we put in a, like a five-second clip of us wearing baseball caps running down a hill, and uh, that's the clip they showed on TV as well, which did really support that idea of us being the jackass TV of the art world. But um, yeah, it's weird. I think recently though, because like, that was still the the quite an early sort of stage of our work that was shown. Mm. Uh, there, um, I think recently people have sort of picked up on the partly the collaboration thing and also um, the sort of interest in in kind of folk art or um, uh, kind of handicraft or vernacular kind of objects. Uh, and there's there's been a bit of sort of references to that. And actually, I mean, I think uh, yeah, that's the, the the kind of current uh, description. But yeah. I think we feel that we're already kind of moving sort of a bit away from that. And I think we felt, we even with that early work, like the showroom show and stuff, that uh, either, either our intentions were misunderstood a little or, um, you know, we hadn't quite got across what it was we were trying to get out in a way with those works. And, and while there was a kind of, you know, there was a sort of thing about technology and nature, that was... That was quite an easy thing to talk about, wasn't it? Some yeah. like a, a sort of strapline nature versus technology is quite easy for for people to get hold of. Although, yeah, I think we. I mean, that was almost more of a way of working for us rather than a, what it was we were looking at in a yeah, way with the pieces. Yeah. So there was there was the context of where we were making the work and what we were using to make that work. But in a way, it was much more. Uh, it was a much more about an ambivalence towards both of those things, I suppose, and also. Um, a fear of nature and a, uh, a bit of a fear of technology as well and, and there was quite a sort of catharsis I think to to those pieces and al also like um, almost looking for some kind of soul in these, these objects that we were breaking so the little kind of epiphanies that these bits of technology would have as just before they died like there's a video where we got a deer stalker to uh, stalk a video camera and shoot it and it's a black and white video camera. It's a short video, about a minute long. You, you see the deer stalker come down, fire a bullet. And just in the last second of the video, the, the black and white screen gets uh, colour in it. There's green and some other... And it's almost like this little sort of um, moment of realisation for the video camera. So I think we, we, we always thought they were almost like making... A, if there were songs, they'd be like soul songs, in a way. But I don't think that really didn't come across, maybe. Um, and in a way 
I think what we quite fear we quite fear as well that sort of pigeonholing and and it, it was quite easy to focus on the destructive side of it and the and that mm. relationship between man and nature and I think and again what we were saying with the kind of the community art work as well there's, there's these tags that kind of land quite easily on people and I think it's you know it's it's obviously a feature of curating you know you need to be able to curate and group things together and yeah well when I was at art school I was a bit more of a formalist I think and I thought like the most important thing to be would be the artist that does such and like have a sentence you were the artist that does uh, custard pie fights or something but that would be it was really important to find the thing that you did and, and really do it mm. a lot but I've changed I've changed since then Sorry, they're currently putting up their degree so it's here, so they're busy. Have you ever done any writing about your own work or um, perhaps tried to fill in the more um, considered conceptual side rather than kind of an immediate performative side? Have you ever, has that ever been necessary or something you wanted to do? Or yeah, uh, no, have we? I don't think no, so. No, no, we, we, we haven't really. And I don't know whether that's almost uh, an unconscious thing that we've done. It, yeah, it I think I'd prefer not to. It seems to go hand in hand a bit with the way that we work anyway, that um, there aren't kind of sessions where we sit down and sort of, you know, deeply analyse the piece of work or the way the way that we work. Um, it's no, and I think in many ways it's not even... I'm not saying it's not our responsibility as such, but it's not uh, it's not necessarily our goal to have everything uh, uh, you know sort of laid out or explained or, or picked mm. apart or kind of annotated in 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 that way. And I think as well, like we both have an idea of what it is that we do, and I don't think it's necessarily the same idea that we have <laughs> in our head. We'll Which say it at the same time. <laughs> One, two, three. It's yep. Can't put mine into words. Yeah, so. I was going to do it. Then. You should have done it. I'd have remained silent. That would have been quite psychologically yeah. um, revealing. <laughs> um, but no, I mean we maybe should. We well, no, I don't think we should. It, I don't know. It, it's never come up as a thing we'd want to do really so far. So um, I think we're, we're always quite interested to see what people make of the work. Um, it can change what we think of it too, I think. Mm. That's the thing, I think, as well, maybe there isn't a, a definite thing that we we think in terms of maybe sort of meaning or content. Um, and like even looking back and talking now a bit about things we've done in the past, I think we're probably saying quite different things about them than we would have said at the time. I think, yeah, and I mean, we find things like artist statements and... Um, you know, synopses or, or, or what have you. We find them really hard to write, and we generally, generally, um, almost try and cut and paste things that other people have written to make a statement. Um, which I think, in some ways, is probably why things get repeated and, and why ideas get put forward because we're not necessarily putting any kind of counter argument towards that. Um, but I think as well, it. it, it it's kind of part of what of we what we do that um, 
we find it really hard to summarize what it is that we're doing and what we're interested in. So, in a way, it, it feels quite easy in some ways to latch onto what other people are seeing as kind of key things or, or things coming through, and and almost maybe to use that as a kind of way into the more kind of grey area that is the thing that we're doing, I suppose. I once said uh, we asked a similar thing in an interview, or well, I'd like to sort of sum up our our work and um, I said it was about the area where freakishness and beauty overlap and then in the write-up in the metro from the interview they put they put that and then said maybe that's what it's like in Birmingham or, or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, it's, that's why we don't do interviews on our own anymore so where bad things come out when we do them individually I mean bad things come out when we do them together anyway but I think the last one I did on my own, it, it just started talking about uh, Middle Earth and Lord <laughs> of the Rings, which, um, while, I, while I like that, you don't like that. <laughs> um, so yeah, we have to watch that stuff. Um, do, you, do you ever think of your practice in terms of things being masculine and feminine, or aggressive and passive? It's a good question, actually, because, um, yeah, particularly when we were making the things, um, sort of drilling CD players and so forth, yeah, we were often told that we were quite, yeah, sort of masculine or, you know, sort of boys with toys. Yeah, it wasn't really like a macho thing, was it? We were, it was like we were, yeah, sort of teenage boys mm. setting fire to ants with a magnifying glass or something. Um, yeah. And actually, in sort of almost direct response to that, the... Um, after that period, the uh, the second show we did at, um, at FA Projects, which was called Woodcraft Folk, was kind of a reflection on that a bit. I think so. We we had a lot of elements of kind of more delicate sort of handicrafts. Uh, we had we made a piece with pressed flowers, uh, which was a sort of direct uh, reference to to that. Um, and now I don't know. Now it's uh, I think it's a bit more a bit more balanced, perhaps. Yeah, I suppose. It's a lot of music and, and particularly, I suppose, sort of rock music. I mean, think, yeah, thinking about that whole kind of masculine, um, aggressive, uh, you know, way that the work, some of the works may be being perceived, um, it sort of led us to think about what it was that was bringing that up for people. Mm. And I suppose we, it, it, it was about more of a kind of. Um, I think for us it seemed more it was about that kind of DIY-ness um, mm. so maybe you know like a, a, a boy in his room playing his guitar or um, and I suppose we realised that's that's kind of what we were interested in and that's what we were trying to get at more of this this idea of a kind of DIY way of working and, and, and an interest in that and a kind of vernacular way of working so the things people do creatively maybe without an end goal of presenting it in an art context so more about the joy of kind of making something or, or just the joy of having a hobby um, and I think that was the kind of thinking in a way that led us to that work in Woodcraft Folk and, and sort of more of the kind of interest we've had since then as well and sort of seeing a parallel between that and, and folk art which is seems like quite a popular thing in the in the art world at the moment or, or maybe it's even had its day now I don't know um, and kind of realising that that's 
that's perhaps what the thing we were interested in, which is what people are picking up on, is the kind of masculine or, or boyishness to the work, I suppose, and and how we could treat that in more in a way that's um, more explicit to to the viewers, I suppose. It's more uh, passive aggressive now, isn't it? Our work than aggressive. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think we've got older as well, <laughs> so it's. Uh, yeah, we're less energetic. We know we're not going to be rock stars anymore, so it's uh, we can just deal with that now, in a much more sedate way. And what's um, what's your role here in the university? Um, we're the uh, weekly fellows for for this year here at, um, at uh, Margaret Street, BCU. Um, so yeah, we're based here for the, the year, the academic year. We've got a studio space here, uh, which we're sitting in right now. And um, yeah, we're basically mainly here to, to carry on with, with our work. Uh, we generally have the door the door open so people can kind of pop in and see us. And we've done a few um, few projects and bits and bobs that have been sort of working with the students. Mm, so it's like a kind of artist in residence post, really, yeah. but with some sort of teaching um, in there as well. So I think um, Mark Gubb, who you also interviewed, he, he did the post a few years ago. and um, Sort of how we found out about it in a way, isn't it? I don't think we knew yeah. too much about it before Mark did it. And then Wooden Harrison were the fellows before last as well. So um, it's, it's a nice post, isn't it? I think it's... Um, it, it came at quite a good time for us as well it, when... I think we've been having to think more about how we can do Juno and make it function and work as a kind of viable um, career option, I suppose. And um, we, we've had to address more, almost treating it like a business and, you know, having set hours and, you know, not, um, not kind of devoting everything, all that sort of waking time to it and kind of trying to make it a functional thing that works for us as well so I think being here has been quite good for that and having the internet for instance is uh, <laughs> a blessing and a curse um, Twitter's taken up a lot of our time but also we, you know we can we can keep the kind of the madmen in uh, in control as well which seems to be um, 70 or 80 percent of what we have to do but um, it's been great in terms of trying to organise things and, and think about how we can continue doing what we're doing and, and look for some kind of longevity to it as well, I suppose. Mm. It's also been really nice just being around the students or getting on with their work. It's quite a kind of, um, mm. sort of buzzy atmosphere. It's quite uh, yeah, sort of energising. It is, because studios can be quite lonely as well. They're notoriously quite quiet. Um, so it's quite nice having stuff around it. You know, Tesco's is two minutes walk away as well, so that's good. <laughs> it's, it's, I recommend it. Tesco's? Yeah. Or the Wheatley Fellowship? <laughs> <laughs> Both. Both. <laughs> Both. Okay, well, I think, um, I think we'll leave it there. Um, just to say uh, thanks for taking some time out of lifting yeah. heavy bits of wood. Yeah, no, no, no problem. It's a pleasure. <laughs> uh, you know, got to give the guns a rest. But um, I, I, re I wanted to ask you something, actually. We listened to Mark Gubb's interview. Yeah. Uh, were you actually in a car park? Yeah. <laughs> like, just sat in a car? <laughs> well, we went to... Um, 
we were in Liverpool, we went to Tate Liverpool, and um, we went to a co the um, coffee shop there, and um, it appeared, without listening to it, that it was quite quiet. Actually, once, uh, we yeah. to, once we'd ordered and sat down, we suddenly realised they had this massive echo, and it was really bad sound. And so it kind of like came to it like, well, we need to, we need to do this somewhere. And he said, well, I've, I've pulled this really posh car park, it's quite quiet in there. Like, and it, it was, it's the poshest car park I've ever seen. Yeah. It's got, it looks like a gallery, like the floor <laughs> is that grey, that kind of um, rubberized grey paint that you get mm. in galleries yeah. sometimes. And um, all had really lovely, beautiful lives all around it. Mm. It's even got like some sort of jazzy name, like Car Park One or something. You know, it's even, you know, every, they thought about everything with it. Mm. And um, so it seems like a good idea because it was just in terms of the sound, there was, you know, you're kind of in a shell, and that's the kind of perfect recording, I guess. So yeah, yeah it wasn't a car park. Oh, I just had this beautiful image of the two of you sat staring out at the sea with like a mug of tea and a sandwich, just neither, none of, not looking at each other. But no, that sounds good too. <laughs> that sounds good. Quite weird in here because we've done, uh, uh, this will segue quite nicely into a plug for our podcast. <laughs> Got to leave this bit in. <laughs> Which is called Compliment Sandwich. Uh, you can get it on iTunes. Um, and we've recorded most of it in here uh, and yeah like things like uh, the kind of noise from over the, the top of the wall there and even the cars going past like wouldn't affect us just talking normally like this but yeah when you listen to them they really sort of they seem to punch a lot higher in the on the um, on the uh, recording there we recorded an intro on a plane as well didn't we yeah that just sounds stupid it's just like <laughs> Sounds like we're actually in a wind tunnel or something. In terms of that, actually, like um, it's sort of like anti-intellectual, like that's trying to upset your practice, I guess, in a way. Isn't it? Like that, we're talking about seeing readings of your work, then that is a it's kind of nice wrapper because it's quite it's quite sort of s silly mm. in a way. Yeah, I mean, we weren't. Yeah, we just. Because we got really into podcasts uh, a little while ago, and t to the point where we had the big chill. Actually, the the guy from the Guardian podcast was there with a recorder, just doing little interviews, and he did an interview. And I think we did it quite straight. I mean, bearing in mind this is probably about two o'clock in the morning. Um, and then at the end, uh, he said, "Okay, that's that's great. Thanks a lot." But uh, we wouldn't let him go. We said we wanted to say into the thing that we really liked podcasts. And that we've been thinking of some things to say on, on podcasts and that we wanted to say them into his podcast machine. Um, so I think that was a moment of realisation, perhaps, that we wanted to do uh, our own. But yeah, we didn't want it to be about art. Um, I suppose bits creep in just because of uh, our daily lives. But um, yeah, we kind of, I mean, we wanted to do like a comedy one, really. <laughs> <laughs> we did I think and the podcast as well it's quite a good insight into how we actually work day to day um, we don't talk about art that much we do genuinely talk more about like what would we do if the zombie apocalypse happens and things like that and uh, I think the podcast is quite good for that in a way uh, reflecting stuff reflecting the way we work <laughs> it also spawned, it was kind of spawned from doing the show we did at Kingston recently at the Stanley Picker Gallery. Oh, yeah. Um, where the whole space was kind of set up as a performance space for people to use, and the podcast was a kind of way of documenting some of the things that happened there. 
although we're still editing some of those podcasts, so <laughs> it wasn't the most effective way of documenting what was happening there, but uh, it was a way nonetheless. <laughs>